Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm the psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. Hello to Sean, our director in our studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Today, I will share with you the tip of the week about how to handle separation as a natural progression of life since it's there all the time and um, how are we going to view it so it doesn't feel so painful. You've asked me for a simple meditation specifically when we're filled with emotions and I will demonstrate one type of a meditation for you. And then I'll bring you a great friend, Dr. Eileen Manukian. She has her doctorate in early childhood development and she is the founder of Gem Educare, which is the first of its kind in incorporating the awareness integration theory as a philosophical and interventional approach and um, adapting it in early development education. Um, before I uh, let you go, I also wanna tell you about uh, the course that I'm creating for all of you who are therapists, for all of you who are coaches and educators, I want you to know about the Awareness Integration Therapy Certification Program. The first course of it is coming in as Essentials of Awareness Integration Theory course. It's gonna be Friday, August 27th to uh, Sunday, August 29th at 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's the first course of uh, the certification program. I will tell you and teach you all of it um, about the, the awareness integration uh, path and how you could start utilizing it with your clients. So call me at 818-648-2140 or uh, go to my website. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast and connect with me through your Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of those. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. But first, here's the tip of the week. All of you therapists, counselors, coaches, and teachers out there, offering you my latest book, Awareness Integration Therapy. Clear the past, create a new future, and live a fulfilled life now. Every person that reaches out to a psychotherapist, a counselor, or a coach is seeking to learn skills that can be utilized daily to foster a successful and fulfilling life. So this book offers an effective tool to all psychotherapists and coaches for supporting their clients to become aware of their inner process and to be accountable for it as well as the results in all areas of their lives with the utmost level of care and acceptance. This is a must read for all of you clinicians and coaches who desire to offer a deep therapeutic work in a brief period of time suited for this era. Here is the tip of the week. Separation as a natural progression 
There's so many times in life where we have to get separated from people or places or items. Every time there are a range of feelings such as anxiety, sadness, anger, guilt, remorse, resentment, loss, mostly grief experienced. It is irrelevant whether we choose to separate or someone else is separating from us or situation and circumstances dictates, we still go through the range of emotions. I've sat with friends, families, and colleagues and clients this week in this experience of loss. A family which is moving to another state due to career opportunities and leaving all other members of the family and their home behind. A man that after 14 years had to put his dog to sleep. A woman who after 10 years of marriage got a divorce. Papers in mail without any explanation. A mother who's having her only child leave to another state for school. Many times there is anticipation of the pain of loss that we call separation anxiety. We have bonded and feel attached to someone, a location, or even our pet. We may hold so many memories of them that mean so much to us. We foresee a future without them, which we don't know what it entails or how it manifests or who we are without them actually. But we know that their place in that future is missing. That is when the beginning phase of the grief shows up. Resistance to the grieving stage produces anxiety. The anticipation of the grief creates anxiety. Foreseeing the future without them produces anxiety. Accepting the grief process allows us to move through it gracefully, allowing ourselves to cry, to feel sad, to cherish the moments that we had with them, to grieve for the future that doesn't have them in it, to miss them, to see their value in our life, communicating all that we need to say, to ask and to receive from them if possible. Create a closure for the blessing of having them in that structure in our life and completing with this phase of life, envisioning a life that is fulfilling as a transition happens and moves us forward. Envision a future that works even without them. Or if we still have access with a new way of being with the person. Separation is a natural part of life progression. We leave our mother's womb to be born, leave our schools to another school as we go up the grades, leave high school to go to college or work, leave one work to another to dissatisfaction or promotion. We leave our singlehood to get married. We let go of our couplehood to become parents. And we may leave our city, state, or country to run away from discomfort or move toward an upgraded life. We leave our youth and vitality as we enter our older phase of life. We leave our careers to retire. We leave life to death. And in between, many, many more separations that may be unexpected. Separation as a natural progression of life comes with its own natural set of emotions to be experienced. Feel it deeply and move through it gracefully. 
for more observational skills on emotional regulation, please go to my book, Life Reset, The Awareness Integration Path to Create the Life You Want. Thank you. Question for today is how do I meditate, especially when I'm going through a lot of emotions, which when I just sit down, I cannot let it go. So I want to share with you how to do that. So first, I want you to start with taking a deep breath as if you are filling your whole lung and actually your stomach. You don't even need to think about inhaling. Just allow your system to inhale all the way down. Hold and then exhale and allow the exhales to go longer and longer. Inhale, stop, hold and exhale as long as you can. Inhale, hold. Exhale as long as you can. And just allow yourself to sit and go within. Experience the inhale. Experience you being filled. And experience letting go. Slowly and allowing your body to just take in. Breathe in and breathe out. This will bring you into the present moment and into your body. Allow yourself to see, experience the internal process. Allow yourself to see your thoughts coming and going. The nature of thought comes in and you let it go as you watch it. And experience within your body the experience of emotions. And as you see an emotion, allow it to get the hold of your whole senses and your body. Be filled with that emotion and allow it to Release. Release with every breath. With every exhale, release the emotion that is coming for you. With every breath going in, allow it to capture all the emotion. Hold and value it and ask for what the messages and with every exhale allow it to release completely inhale and allow yourself to experience the emotion hold and see what the message is and exhale and let it release and allow yourself with every exhale to bring in peace and quiet. And as you sit with this emotion, 
Listen to the message. Listen to what it needs to say. And as you listen, allow yourself to see how you can incorporate the message that is telling you, what it's needing from you, what it is telling you to do. And for you to let that emotion know you're listening, you're valuing, you're going to be there for you. Take a deep breath and let go. Another one and let go. And bring the intention of clarity and beauty and peace. Thank you. Welcome back everyone. I'm Dr. Fujan Zain and I am excited to have Dr. Eileen Manukian with us. Uh, she is the founder of Gem Educare and her doctorate is in early uh, childhood development. And um, she has gone through a journey and uh, we really wanna know about the journey. So I'm gonna actually let her tell us about the journey of why and how she got to be in love with um, early ch childhood development and what she is up to. And she's gonna talk about her latest um, article and dissertation uh, to all of us. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you and thank you, Dr. Zane. And um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, as you said, uh, so my background is in corporate banking and um, I have been always uh, busy with business and my even master's degree is in business administration. So a few years ago, I decided to um, go on a year long trip around the world because that was one of my dreams and I wanted to fulfill my dream. I went around the world and um, it was there when I realized that I, my passion for kids is much bigger than I was thinking it was. It was actually my calling in life. Uh, I was volunteering in South Africa in an um, underprivileged area with uh, young children in a um, childcare setting. And I uh, noticed that I am the happiest when I work with the kids and it, they really give me a lot of joy. And um, the energy that the children bring into our lives is phenomenal. And uh, I always had a lot of patience. I really like to work with kids. I really enjoy seeing the development that happens in younger kids. So when I came back, I decided to start my own daycare and preschool. And we used actually the model that you um, originated. And that was the reason I decided to fulfill my dreams and go around the world because I was one of the recipients of your model. And we um, changed it a little bit to create it for the educational setting. And that's how it came about. And um, a couple of years later, or a year and a half later, I decided the best thing to do is to get my doctorate in um, childhood education. So I will have 
not only the passion and the um, drive, but also the knowledge I need to work with um, young kids. So my specialty is prenatal to eight years old. And that's how it came about. Yeah, it's amazing that we could go through our passion and we can go through uh, our experience, everyday experience. Many of the um, people who have created theories in psychology, they've actually done it through observation. So although there's definitely a lot to say about observation that you have done for so many years with children as you volunteered in the world or as you opened uh, Gem Educare and uh, have been working with them daily, but you're absolutely right that when we add that with the fundamental aspect of the theories and education that is out there, together it develops um, a whole different level of um, skills, uh, knowledge and skills that can be provided in a bigger um, aspect. And I know that when you've been uh, working on your dissertation, there were a lot of different angles when you were looking at, I think what is relevant right now a lot is about readiness of the children to go back to school. We have a lot of conversation actually right now about children going back to school after being home for almost a year and a half. And, um, and what, what determines that readiness? And I know that since you have been working with the awareness integration um, theory and adapting it to early childhood, you've seen a tremendous amount of growth in the children where they have been able to regulate their emotion and work with uh, their thoughts, their emotion and behavior and intention and creating and what it is that they want, but also how that gets them to be ready for school. So I know you have a wealth of information with the research that you have done. So uh, if you could share with us um, what got you to want to have your dissertation on this topic and then what your findings are. Definitely. So um, school readiness uh, is one of the fundamentals that children need. If they are ready to go to school and they go to kindergarten or first grade and they have the skills that they require to go to school, they're gonna be successful. Research has shown that kids who get readiness skills, they are way more successful academically and even later in life, in their uh, regular day-to-day -day life than the kids that do not possess those skills. Now, school readiness skills are not knowing ABCD. They are not how to count. They are being ready to um, be separated from their parents. It's being ready to work in a group. It's uh, getting ready to share with your uh, classmates or children your age. Um, it is also knowing how to hold a, a, a pair of scissors, how to hold your pencil. These are fundamentals that children need to be ready to go to school. Uh, a, B, C, Ds and one, two, threes, they learn one way or another. They learn how to read. But if they don't know how to problem solve, if they don't know how to interact with other children or their teachers, they don't know how to sit for a little bit of time to learn and uh, absorb all the information they are getting, then they have real problems. They need to know how to focus. And these are skills that if they learn in, at a younger age, they are much more successful in kindergarten than if their first time uh, or first experience with others is in kindergarten. Um, so what um, happened was 
because I was using uh, the awareness integration theory in my setting, I noticed that children's focus gets um, a lot longer based on the developmental stage that they are on. So if, for example, at a developmental stage of three years old, they can only focus 20 minutes, children who are receiving this theory can focus on one task for about an hour, which is three times more than what they are supposed to do. Sometimes, especially in the era that attention deficit issues are uproaring everywhere. Exactly. Sometimes I even forget I am doing something with them and they don't want to get away from the the, um, uh, activity we are doing. So uh, combining uh, awareness integration theory with play-based and discovery-based methods, it gave us um, an opportunity to create a platform for children that uh, develops all these skills much faster. Now, the younger the child, when they come here, the faster this growth is going to be. So if they are coming at the age of six months old, their focus and their development starts at six months old. If they are coming at three, then it starts at three years old. Um, I was uh, was very fortunate to have a uh, very um, uh, knowledgeable uh, mentor while I was doing my dissertation. My dissertation originally was supposed to be about school readiness. But then COVID happened in the middle of the process. And uh, my mentor suggested that if I want, I can switch it to focusing it during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which I think was the greatest decision we made because there are not enough research about that. So uh, what um, ended up happening is um, I did a lot of literature reviews. I reviewed all the literature, whatever was available about school readiness and about school readiness during COVID-19, which was not that much because nobody had that much information yet. It, it was just happening. But because we were through the process, I was able to find teachers uh, in one of the largest metropolitan cities in the uh, western area of Los Angeles, uh, western area of um, United States, um, and um, that's how we came about and we started doing the research. Now, these teachers were coming from different socioeconomic groups. So there was a lot of diversity. They were from the lowest socioeconomic groups to, to the highest socioeconomic groups in the United States. Um, they all had more than nine years of experience with children. Some of them had 40 years of experience teaching pre-kindergarten, transitional kindergarten, and kindergarten. And um, to me, these three grades were the most challenging ones during COVID-19 because other children at least know what computer is, at least know how to hold a pencil. But how do you teach a child how to hold a pencil correctly when you're on the other side of the screen? You can't even hold their hands. You can't teach them how to sit still for hours a day because they need to move. It's the the, uh, reality of the matter. A four-year-old, a five-year-old cannot sit for three hours and uh, stare at a screen and learn from that screen. Because before research has shown that children don't learn from the screens, they learn from interactions. If you put a child in front of the TV and you put 
uh, a language skill. The, the research was done on Chinese. So they put uh, a group of children in front of TV and the teacher from the TV taught them Chinese. Then they put a, another group of the same age children with that teacher, but face to face, not on TV. The children who were sitting in front of the TV learned nothing of Chinese, but the other group actually learned Chinese. So that showed that screen cannot be a very good interaction uh, outlet for the children and children cannot learn from screens. So how do we make this screen to become an interactive human to human interaction? We cannot, but we can do our best. Um, the, uh, it was it was really, really interesting. And I really loved doing the research. Every single teacher I interviewed was so enthusiastic to um, share their information. My interviews were supposed to be 20 minutes only. Each one of them took about two hours. <laughs> um, and, my, and I was happy to listen to their concerns, to listen to how they overcome all these challenges. Unfortunately, the public... Um, uh, judges teachers very harshly. And I have to mention this here that these teachers are also parents and their children are also at home on a different computer and they have to attend to their children. I completely understand that pandemic has caused a lot of issues for us, but we also have to be um, noticing that these people are doing phenomenal jobs especially the ones that are working with younger children. Yeah. They are really they are really putting everything they know and a new hats. They have to learn the technology themselves. They have to maneuver through Zoom. They have to come up with ideas that they can teach children without being there and having them actually focus on the screen. Absolutely. I think that it's so important to acknowledge that it's one of the most important roles in the society as, as teacher, especially teaching young children, because you create the love of learning for this group, or you can kill the love of learning at a very, very early age. You could come in and, um, you know, beside the circumstances, I think that the character of the teacher and what they do and how they teach, I think it becomes a part of a, a whole concept of someone a child wanting to learn and move forward or uh, they get shy away from it. And then the medium of, like you said, are they in the classroom? Are the classrooms populated where each teacher cannot necessarily take care of the children or be attentive? Or it is a small setting, they can, or it's now under uh, with Zoom. And I think that part, depending on what state and what area uh, people are, they still have this option of whether they're going to go back to school or not, um, or they have to, or they go into kind of like a hybrid. Some days they are, and some days they're not. And you also talked about so, so, so difficult for younger children to be able to do this versus, let's say, teenagers, you know, mm -hmm. that they can interact and have a different aspect of it. So what were the findings uh, through your um, research? So the findings were the, the, most important finding was that this was a group effort. All the teachers uh, shared how important it was for them to help each other. So a lot of teachers had younger people in their groups, like younger teachers in their schools who were more savvy with computers and they 
put their time in and helps the other teachers learn how to maneuver uh, through Zoom. They also shared a lot of experiences with each other to come up with um, ideas of how to um, help children during these difficult times. Because we also have to remember these children were going through trauma. Some of them got COVID, some of them lost people in their families to COVID. And all of them were scared of this germ that is causing them to stay home, not go to school, not be with their friends, don't even see their uh, family members. So they had to um, um, switch um, roles. They had to take care of their emotional needs as well as their academic needs. And also they shared a lot of ideas. Um, they were working as a group. So shared leadership was one of the findings that the schools who, that had shared leadership, that the principal and the other um, school members, staff members were helping each other, were more successful in doing this uh, seamlessly. Another finding was the role of parents. Parents had a big role. Now, the teachers were talking to me and telling me that there were parents that they had to very nicely and politely ask them, please don't do the um, homework for them. If I'm asking them a question, please don't answer the question for them. This is for your child's learning. We, I want the child to participate. And they were successful with that. Now, there were parents who had to work and they were working from another room, but they were accessible to children. Teachers had that communication with them, very open communication that if I need you, I'm going to call you and if you could please come and help your child. So parents uh, had a great, great role and their relationship with the teachers was very important. Um, the other thing that the teachers mentioned was that uh, they were um, talking to parents and using the parents' help. One of them said, I had a, a theme for a week that um, the, uh, we were doing traveling. So we would go to different countries and talk about different countries. And I had parents who had been to those, those countries or they were from those countries. So they would ask them to come in as guest speakers and talk to the children. The other important thing, the finding was the role of the child itself. How was the child involved? How did the child interact with the parents, with other children and with the teachers? The child's role was of course the most important one um, because children are the ones that are learning and children are the ones who need to be involved and how they would focus and how they would uh, use all the other opportunities that were there for them. All of them got a grab and go um, toolkits, which had everything they needed to do manipulations with their hands, to learn how to cut, to learn how to paste, to learn uh, uh, skills that they would need in the next year. And then another finding was technology's role. <laughs> Actually, that was one of the major findings. How did technology come into place to uh, help these uh, uh, teachers teach their children school readiness? Technology had a humongous role. Um, they used YouTube, they used different apps to contact parents. They used even technology to assess children. And all of them were saying that technology is gonna stay with them 
uh, and they're going to use Zoom and they're going to use apps to contact parents because that way they can have their one-on-one -on -one conferences or even group conferences after hours when the parents don't have to go to work. So it will give them a lot of flexibility on contacting each other. They would send pictures of children's work. Uh, parents would help teachers to assess children by sending their work that they did at home. And then uh, the uh, probably the most important one was the teacher's role. <laughs> the teacher's role was one another finding that uh, how did teachers adapt to the situation uh, to teach children to be school ready? One of the most important things they did is creating a safe environment, making sure everything is routine. Children are aware of their routine. They would start the morning, most of them started the morning with a song or dance or something that would bring their spirits up. Uh, they would have a conversation with the parents to know if there is anything, any um, important stuff going on at home. If somebody's sick, if they lost somebody to COVID or whatever the situation was to attend to children's emotions and help them regulate those emotions. These were the, the most important five findings from the study. Um, it's amazing when you uh, share those with me, it brought up the concept of this past year and a half, um, everyone, whether it was the teachers or the parents or the children, it had to really get creative with what the, uh, the world circumstances brought upon them. And um, I think so far, most mostly they've done a spectacular job. I know that it's been such a pressure on teachers and parents and children of all ages to come up with new ways of being together, new modalities of learning, and they really had to get creative. And I know that, uh, I don't think that this will ever go away. I think what they have found and the new skills they found is gonna probably really support them in all around and everything that they have to do. Um, as you looked at, um, you know, going to, toward um, the system of teaching, and uh, knowing that uh, at this point we are we're in a space that schools are going to go back, how do you see when you spoke with teachers and how they're going to bring what they've learned through this year and a half back into an actual face-to-face -face environment and a classroom environment? Um, so one of the things that they were talking about is they're going to definitely use the technology. So they're going to use the technology in their classrooms and they're going to use the technology outside of the classrooms for the benefit of children. A lot of assessments can be done through um, technology, which is much faster and it's easier for the teachers. Um, they are going to have uh, contact with the parents uh, through technology. Now, there is another issue that is going to come up this year, and that issue is that children, especially young children, cannot be vaccinated, but they are going back to school personally, in person. So now these teachers have to switch from going online and teaching online into going to a classroom and taking care of children while they have to be six feet apart. They have to wear a mask. It's very challenging to have little kids uh, keep their masks on. 
um, it's difficult to help help them understand why they are doing what they are doing. They cannot share toys yet. They cannot share anything that they use yet. They have to be all sanitized before another child can use it. So it's going to be another level of adapting to the situation, which is different from what they went through last year. Uh, which makes them real heroes because now they have to do to adopt adaptation to something else. Um, they are going to use their the experience they got uh, from last year during their professional life. Uh, that's what they all were telling me. But then, yes, the conversation of um, also I know you and I were speaking about this. Uh, the concept of uh, screen time is completely changed because due to the pandemic um, and classes going into Zoom and the computer, uh, you know, the screen time now has become all of it. It has become going to school, studying, um, and then games, um, learning materials, Every aspect of the children's life, except some games that they do, which is a motor skills. And then you're saying that even if they're going to do it at, at, at the school, there'll be probably a lot more kind of exercise versus group activities that be together. So then what are some of your new findings or assumptions about the concept of how this type of screen time for children will be changed as we go into the future? We definitely have to change all the uh, uh, CDC's requirements. I think actually they are they are working on it because before the screen time appropriate for children was between 20 minutes to half an hour. Right now it's impossible. They do everything online. They have to have a laptop. They have to have a, an iPad or a, a tablet to work on it. So the screen time issue is gonna definitely change. I don't think we can even tell a child under five years old, uh, over five years old, that their screen time is gonna be less than three hours because they are required to do their homework online. So it definitely is gonna change. Now, I think, what would be, and this is my personal opinion, what would be the best is to add to the physical activity hours. Parents need to add to the physical activity hours and the schools need to add to physical activity hours. So at least we will have them moving, jumping for their physical development. Um, so we won't miss out on that section of it, uh, but we have to definitely adjust ourselves and our requirements with the times. There is no other way around it. So, and what do you do in your uh, preschool uh, when you have children who are coming from different families coming in and um, they are at school, they're not vaccinated because obviously they're young, uh, but you have been able to keep uh, your preschool open throughout the whole pandemic and be safe and not have uh, you know, issues. Uh, how have you been able to uh, work that through? What are some of the um, you know, uh, guidelines that you have upkept so that you've actually been able to keep your preschool open throughout the time uh, with no major issues? Um, so there are a lot of guidelines that state gives us, but we have our own guidelines. So for example, if a child uh, goes on a trip and that trip can be one day or two days, 
when they come back, either they have to quarantine for 14 days or they need to show me a negative test before the child can come back to the uh, preschool. Um, it is also, the, from the beginning, this had nothing to do with COVID. Nobody can enter the room with shoes on. So that minimizes the germs. We asked the parents not to uh, enter the rooms at all when COVID started, before that they could come. But the good thing is we have uh, doors that are all glass, so they can see the children inside. We just ask them not to come in. One of my biggest blessings is that every single parent that brings their child here is very cooperative. Um, I am fortunate enough that all of them have been vaccinated. They all follow the rules. If a child comes in, uh, fever is not, I, I can tell you, they don't even bring them if they have fever because they know they have to take them back home. If a child comes with the slightest signs, runny nose or uh, coughing or sneezing, I send them home immediately. And all the parents understand this is for everybody's safety. Uh, all of the caregivers have masks on all day long. Everybody sanitizes constantly. We use uh, disposable plates, disposable, everything is disposable. The child touches it, it goes into the trash. We don't even uh, clean or wash it. Uh, we wash their hands very, very frequently. They even ask for it now because they're used to it, uh, that they need to wash their hands constantly. Uh, we keep a very close eye on them and we keep them outside as much as possible. When the weather permits us, we do almost all of the activities outside. They eat outside, they play outside, uh, we run around outside, we do art activities outside. And there are only three adults that uh, work here. It's me and two of my assistants, and we never change these three. So we do not let anybody extra to come in. That way we keep everything under control. And all three of us, we know who is in the uh, family. All of us have been vaccinated from day one. Uh, so we keep everything uh, as um, clean and as uh, safe as possible. Mm -hmm. And then you spoke about how the awareness integration has uh, brought the, this concept of, of attentiveness to them. And then um, the social skills of how to be with each other created empathy and compassion. Um, it's brought a whole new, uh, concept of the value systems that you are trying to teach them or their parents are trying to teach them. It's uh, working out very well in the way that they are dealing with each other. You even have like two-year-olds that are not really having tantrums. They've learned very easily in how to maintain, you know, understand their emotion and um, kind of work with it, calm themselves down and, and move forward. Uh, how do you see the uh, awareness integration model and the adaptability of it to younger children from a proactive place and a teaching method where even, you know, you've started doing that with infants where they don't even have like, you know, the concept of answering back or the, uh, the ability, they, obviously they gain language, but they don't have yet the ability to speak it. Um, how has your experience been the past six, seven years of uh, working uh, from this model and bringing it into the early childhood education? I think it uh, not only helps children learn uh, emotional regulation and their emotional intelligence uh, is higher than a, uh, an average child. It also helps them uh, have the love of learning and it helps them focus more because they are not 
uh, entangled with their emotions and with uh, I need to scream because I want this. I know how to uh, express myself myself without doing the behavior that, that is inappropriate. So that that opens up a lot of space in their mind to want to learn, to want to explore, to want to be focused. It uh, opens up a layer of the, the anxiety of things are, is gone, are gone. So they have this um, freedom of spirit and mind uh, to express themselves correctly, appropriately, and uh, to use um, their body language, their verbal language, and uh, their thoughts. Actually, they become very pr- uh, good problem solvers. They know how to solve all their problems because they are not uh, busy uh, throwing a tantrum. They are not busy getting stressed or anxious over one little thing, one little emotion that is bothering them. They know how to release it immediately. Um, And that helps them with every other aspect of life that they need to learn and grow. Uh, uh, One of the interesting things is that not only it helps with their cognitive development, it also helps with their physical development because a lot of fears are gone. I have a one-year-old that climbs the stairs of the very high uh, slide and comes down the slide that I was, I was like, oh my God, how do you do that? This is not supposed to be for children under three years old. But they don't have the fear. They enjoy doing it. They are the whole time they are focused on where am I putting my leg? How am I holding the the rail? Uh, How do I have to position my body to come down in a safe and secure way? So they're interested in actually learning the skill and they're excited about learning. And uh, because their emotions are in check, they hear it, they're with it, they're, they're living with it but it doesn't um, allow them to, um, the, the fears don't allow them as, a, as an obstacle to be in front of them. They are able to be excited about learning, which is what the role of uh, education needs to be and it has been. Yes, yes, exactly, yes. So when you look at uh, bringing the uh, awareness integration theory and model within the system, what is it that you see among the different, for example, um, how it's applied to an infant versus it's applied to a toddler or going into a preschool? Because you're experiencing, for example, having children come into you, to your uh, program as early as you know, three months or you have them come in as a toddler or older. So how do you see this uh, being impacted in different um, age group? So in different age groups, uh, we have to use different skills to teach them. Uh, When they are infants, uh, the best thing to do is to have some kind of like a dance with them. So we have to read the cues that they are giving us and respond to the cues according to the uh, awareness integration theory. Uh, What happens is we have to also teach them, this is an emotion that you're having and why you're having the emotion and how you're reacting to the emotion. So these are all coming from us. Oh, you're laughing. I see you're happy. So when you're happy, you're going to laugh. And are you moving your hands and feet because you're excited? So all of these talking, um, explanatory talking that explains what the kid is 
experiencing helps them learn and label the emotions. They learn this is an emotion and this is the name of the emotion. And this is how I act towards this emotion or because of this emotion. Then uh, when they get a little bit older, when they uh, turn one and they become a toddler, they start also having thoughts. Up to one year, they, they have some thoughts, but it's not that many. So at one year old, then we have to help them learn the emotions you knew. Now they are getting a little bit more complex. So we're going to learn about the complex emotions. And we're also going to distinguish between a, a feeling and the thought. What you're doing right now is thinking about getting this toy. But your emotion about getting that toy is happiness, it's joy, it's excitement. So when they get to one-year-old and they turn into a toddler, that's what we do. We also correct their behavior. So if they are, they are having a behavior that is inappropriate because it hurts somebody else, uh, around one-year-old, we also start teaching them what the impact of their behavior is on their own self and then what the impact is on a different kid or another adult. So if you want the toy and you'd go and take it from your friend, your friend starts crying, you're causing sadness in your friend. I know you want the toy and it will make you upset if you don't get the toy, but did you want to upset your friend when you took it from him? So we start talking about it and when they get to uh, over two years old, they can distinguish all of them. So now they know this is my feeling, this is my thought, this is the behavior I showed, and this is the impact of the behavior I showed. And now, how can I alter that behavior? How can I alter the, the way I interact or, or react to the emotion or for, to the thought that I have? And then by, uh, I can say by about age three, three and a half, they are masters already. They know how to behave correctly. They know how to, if they, if something came up and their behavior was not correct, they know how to correct it, how to apologize for it, and how to be attentive to your to their friends. And it seems like this way of uh, teaching them what the impacts are, it uh, brings them out of themselves and kind of self-centeredness that we all have as a child. Yes. It opens us to uh, our, how our behavior it impacts other people. And that, to me, is also the key where you're finding that the children who are going through this model are more compassionate and more readily in the, the social uh, IQ. Let's say the social intelligence that they have is because of the ability to sense that every movement that I have, it impacts you and how you impact me and how I can go and shift and be powerful and have a confidence. And I think that part of what you were talking about also the fear is not there, but it's also the level of confidence that is being built, building about I have a say-so about this. I have a power of shift. I have some choice, a power of choice in how to maneuver the outcome and co-create the outcome in a different way versus, you know, as a child, many times we're like, we're the victim of the world as it does whatever it needs to, to us versus a child really experiencing, no, I have a power at any moment in choosing and behaving and thinking and feeling. And I think that is also part of what you're experiencing in um, as far as result with your children about 
how compassionate they are. I have to say that when um, I've come myself and I've known other people who come in and I know sometimes when you, you know, have all day, you're getting videos of, of, the, uh, of the children uh, with permission of their parents. And um, I see that, you know, a room that has 12 kids of different ages, um, there's not a mayhem. There's always this way of they are completely concentrating on a task together, sitting down and moving together. And usually, you know, when you go somewhere and there is more than two children, you usually hear this kind of a mayhem that is happening and somebody's screaming, yelling, somebody's pulling somebody's hair or, um, uh, you know, having a tantrum and all of it. And that's just not seen in your, um, in your work. Yes, uh, the interesting thing is that um, now the kids have learned that, um, first of all, there were so several things that I didn't know is different until I heard from other people. Like I was hearing, so how do you deal with a child who bites? Like, I don't have children who bite. And then I heard, how do you deal with the heaters? I don't have children who eat. They just don't eat because that's not the way they get the result they want. They learned the appropriate way of getting the result they want. And the other thing is that uh, when they get uh, too anxious or their energy level goes so high, they always come and ask, can we go outside and run around because I really need to release some of this energy? Or they come and ask, oh, we had a very full day. We want to meditate. So I put the music for them and they start meditating. They are very, one of the amazing things that happen is as a child, they are willing to ask for help and they help, they ask uh, for that in an appropriate way. And they are very open to express what their needs are. So instead of screaming and throwing tantrums, they actually ask what they want. And that's the beauty of it. And it takes the teachers and the parents and, and all of that to first bring bring this environment of, um, of a conversation that is so respectful to another human being as a child, which they get to also respect their own emotions, their needs, know how to say it, know how to want it and feel safe enough that they know that when they ask for something that the grown-ups and the world for them is uh, you know able to give them, or if they're not able to give them, they'll tell them the reason why they're not. Well, I'm glad. I'm so glad. Um, uh, and congratulations on um, on your dissertation. I know that it's published. Could you tell um, everyone how they can uh, read your dissertation if they're interested in? Sure. So the the uh, title of the dissertation is "How do pre-kindergarten and kindergarten teachers support students' school readiness development during COVID nineteen pandemic?" Or they can uh, also Google it with my name which is Eileen Manukian. Beautiful. And uh, they can find you also um, with the gemeducare.com, right? Yes. Gemeducare.com. And in less than one minute, is there anything that we haven't really shared and you really want people to know about your work and uh, your method? 
Um, I just want people to know that they can send any for any any uh, questions they have to me. I also do parenting coaching, and my parenting coaching is based on uh, awareness integration theory method. So it's a little bit different, and uh, it helps parents uh, be able to regulate uh, their own feelings and also regulate their help children regulate their feelings, which makes their lives much more pleasant and enjoyable. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, everyone, I hope that you gained a lot from um, what uh, Dr. Manukian is doing with children. I think it's really needed for, uh, you know, creating an amazing citizens for the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Manukian, for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all of us for being with us and, and, and um, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.